Our scripture reading for this morning is Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 22. This is the reading of God's word. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord, my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, How may we know that the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken, the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. This ends the reading of God's holy word. This is the first Sunday in Advent, and we will be taking a Christmas break from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We will restart the letter in January, and we will be in that letter up till Easter Sunday. There are four Sundays in Advent and are traditionally marked by the themes of hope, joy, peace, and love. Great topics, certainly very relevant topics during the Advent season, but this year we are going to do something a little bit different. Next week is Demiron's ordination and installation during the service, which is wonderful but not quite Advent-ish. So that means we only have three Sundays, not four, to work with this Advent season. So instead of the traditional four weeks of Advent, we are going to do a three-week Advent sermon series on what theologians describe as the three offices of Christ. Jesus is our prophet, he is our priest, and he is our king. The structure of these services will be that during the lighting of the candle, there will be a reading from the New Testament in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The actual sermon text will be from the Old Testament. It will be a text that points forward to Jesus as the prophet, the priest, and the king. It's a little bit of a break from uh, tradition, but hopefully this still serves the Advent goal, which is to reflect on the glory of Jesus coming from heaven to us in his incarnation. So here we go, Advent 2022, starting with week one, Jesus, our prophet. We are in Deuteronomy 18. In Greek, Deutero means second, nomos means law. So the title for this book literally means the second telling of the law. It's a second summary of all that has happened under the leadership of Moses, and especially the giving of the Ten Commandments. Moses is the greatest prophet in the history of the Jewish people. His life is now coming to an end, and he is telling the people what to look for moving forward. But before we get to the connections between Moses and Jesus, notice three key marks of Moses' prophetic ministry. We see here that, first, Moses was a prophet from amongst the people. We see, second, that Moses spoke for God. And then third, we see the results of Moses' ministry confirmed that he was, in fact, a true prophet. So let's quickly work through each one of those three. Number one, what we see is that Moses was a prophet from amongst 
the people, amongst his brothers. We see that in verses 15 and 18. Moses was one of the people. We might say today he's, he's one of us. He's like us. Remember that Moses was born under the reign of Pharaoh, and this was the Pharaoh that oppressed the Israelites. Out of fear for how great the nation of Israel was growing, Pharaoh made a decree that all the Israelite boys were to be killed. Moses was born into a Levite family, a family of Israel, and after his birth, his mom placed him in the basket and floated it down the river. He was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter and would be raised as a son to her. But even though he was raised in Pharaoh's house, he was always going to be an Israelite. He was one of the people. Even though he was raised in Pharaoh's house, had money, prestige, reputation, he was still always going to be one of the people. He represented the people. In the 2008 election between John McCain and Barack Obama, one of the questions I remember reading leading up to the election was, who would you rather have a drink and smoke with? And Barack Obama clearly had the advantage of this very cool, slick guy who had a a smoking problem. Now, being cool and being slick and being a smoker has nothing to do with your ability to be a good president, but people were drawn to him because he seemed to be like one of us that he could represent the people well. That's Moses. He was not an Egyptian who was given the special call of caring for different types of people. No, he was one of the people. And so whenever Moses would give a hard word to the people, it was not because he was against them, but because he was one of them. He cared for them. He was with them. He was a prophet of the people. Number two, You see that Moses spoke for God. Again, you see this in verses 15 and 18. This is the basic definition of what a prophet is. A prophet is someone who is set apart by God for the unique purpose of speaking for God. Prophets spoke the word of God. Thus says the Lord, and then a prophet speaks. It's God's words, but always through a man. You see, there is a gap between us and God. God is infinite and we are finite. The gap between us and God is not just because of sin, but also because we are of different nature. And the difference between us and Him requires a form of mediation to bridge the gap. We cannot move towards God, but He is able to, as an act of mercy, move towards us. To move towards us, the lesser. Calvin describes this like a parent talking to a child. A parent is more mature, more refined, but a parent in kindness will often get on his or her knee, lean towards a child and talk in very simplistic terms so that the child might understand. That's what God does through the prophets. He is coming towards us using words that we can understand so that we might understand what God is doing in the world. Prophets were people of the word. They spoke for God. And there are lots of other prophets in the Old Testament, but Moses was understood to be the greatest. Moses was the prophet who confronted Pharaoh. He led the people through the events of the Exodus. Moses was different because he was the one who who climbed on Sinai, interacted with God in a personal way. Moses saw the back of God, heard from God. The Ten Commandments written by God were brought down from the mountain by Moses. 
In Deuteronomy 34, God says that he knew Moses face to face. So while all the other prophets that were to come later in the story, Joshua, Isaiah, Jeremiah, there's always going to be something very special and unique about Moses. All other prophets drew their ministry from the template of Moses. Moses spoke for God. And then number three, finally, the results of Moses confirmed his prophetic ministry. This is verses 21 through 22. So it's a very fair question that is asked in verse 21. How can we know if a prophet is real? How do we know if a prophet is worth listening to? The answer is pretty obvious. A prophet is true if what he says actually comes to pass. This past summer, I was making predictions about the NBA, and I predicted that the Detroit Pistons were going to be good this year. They had some good draft picks and some young talent, and I predicted that the Pistons would be good. Now, based on the results, you can rightly conclude that I'm a terrible prophet because the Pistons are in dead last again. How bad the Pistons are proves that I am not a good prophet. But Moses, by God's grace, was able to back up what he prophesied. All the plagues and the leading through the Red Sea and the promises about God's protection and provision, the people knew that Moses was speaking for God because of the results. They could not doubt him. You can't argue with those kind of results. So what we see is that Moses was first from the people. We see second that he spoke for God. We see third and finally that he had the results to back it up. Moses was, in fact, a true prophet. And here we are at the end of his life in chapter 18, and Moses is prophesying that God is going to raise up another prophet like him. So the question then becomes, who specifically is Moses referring to? Joshua will be the next one to lead God's people. But there are certainly other prophets as the story progresses throughout the Old Testament. And then the story ends with Jesus. So who exactly is Moses referring to in this prophecy? To, to understand biblical prophecy, you, you need to understand the, that many of the prophecies come in layers. That there is often an immediate focus to the prophecy, but there is also a farther out focus to a prophecy. A few summers ago, my family went on vacation with Vanessa's family to the Rocky Mountains. My one request for this trip out west is that we would get to climb what is called a 14er. 14er is a mountain whose peak is above 14,000 feet. So the adults got up in the middle of the night and we began to climb the trail up this 14er. And eventually the sun comes out and, and all you can really see is just the trail in front of you in this, this big mountain hill. And when you get to about 12,000 feet, you, you crest the hill and you come out of the tree line. This is where trees stop growing. And it feels like you are about to reach the peak because you're about to come over this crest. There's no trees. You can see these grand mountain vistas. But at 12,000 feet, as soon as you get to the first summit, you look out and see that you still have a mile and 2,000 feet up to go to the actual summit. And then once you get to the actual summit, 14,000, you look out and see other mountains, some of which are even taller. 
That's biblical prophecy. In this prophecy, Moses is speaking immediately about Joshua, the one who's going to take over for him after his death. But as soon as we get to Joshua, the leader, we will see that what Moses was ultimately referring to was not Joshua, but was actually leading us to Jesus. So you could ask, here in Deuteronomy 18, is Moses referring to Joshua or is he referring to Jesus? And the answer is yes to both. Joshua will be the next, but the prophecy finds its ultimate and final fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the final prophet. And as a prophet like Moses, we see that Jesus is going to be a prophet who is one of us. We will see that Jesus does not just speak the word of God, but is the word of God. We will also finally see that the death of Jesus, his resurrection, is the proof that Jesus is a prophet worth listening to. That Jesus is like Moses, but he is new and better in every way. In front of you, you have your pew Bibles. I would encourage you to take them out because we're going to be bouncing around the New Testament a bit this morning. And what we're now going to do is we're going to go through the exact same three points that we just made in reference to Moses. But in this time, we're going to make the same three points in reference to Jesus. So the first point was that Moses was a prophet of the people. We'll see that Jesus is similar. So turn with me to Matthew's gospel account. Turn with me to page 807. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew's gospel account begins with the line, the book of the genealogy. In Greek, Biblos Genesis. This is the book of the beginning. And at the beginning of this new book, Jesus is included in a genealogy of the lineage of God's people. We will learn that, yes, Jesus is, of course, God. But from the outset, we see first that he is a man, that he is in the line of God's people. And then notice the movement of Jesus in the first couple chapters. Chapter 2, verse 13. After Jesus was born, Jesus and his family were forced to flee to Egypt because of King Herod's desire to kill the male children. After returning from Egypt, Jesus will begin his ministry in chapter 3. In verse 13 of chapter 3, we see that Jesus enters into the Jordan River to be baptized. And Jesus will then leave the river in chapter 4, 2, and enter into the desert, enter into the wilderness, where he will be tempted by the devil for 40 days. After leaving the desert in chapter 5, Jesus will climb a mountain to give a sermon. The Sermon on the Mount, the most well-known sermon in the Bible. This is how Jesus begins his ministry in the first five chapters of Matthew's gospel account. The question, going back to chapter 3, is why is Jesus baptized? Think of baptism as a sign of being washed clean from sin. But Jesus did not sin, and so why would he need to be baptized? Jesus does not need to be baptized, but he does so as a way of identifying with us. Moses was a prophet of the people. He represented them. That's what we see Jesus doing. Here's a prophet of the people. Listen to what is happening here in Matthew. Moses was born in Egypt under the reign of a cruel ruler who was against the Hebrew boys. Jesus, as a baby, was sent into Egypt because of a cruel ruler who was against the Hebrew boys. Moses led the people through the Red Sea and into the wilderness for 40 years. 
Jesus went into the water and would then enter the wilderness, not for 40 years, but for 40 days. Moses met with God on a mountain and gave the people God's word. Jesus preached his first sermon on a mountain. What Jesus is doing here in Matthew is that he is becoming the prophet of the people, becoming like one of us. He is actually re-walking the steps of God's people. His baptism is the clearest moment when Jesus is saying, even though this sign is not for me, I will become so much like you, become like you, my people, that I am now willing to be seen as a sinner like they are. Like Moses, Jesus was a prophet of the people. Number two, like Moses, Jesus speaks for God. Jump over a few gospel accounts to John's. You'll find this on page 886. And John begins his gospel account with this very well-known prologue. In the beginning was the word of God, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is in reference to Jesus. In his ministry, Jesus, like Moses will speak with the full authority of God. He speaks with remarkable insight to Nicodemus on the need for rebirth in John chapter 3. The words of Jesus have the same power as the word of God. In John chapter 11, after the death of his friend Lazarus, Jesus speaks, Lazarus, come out. And with that word, a dead man rises. Numerous times, Jesus will speak the I am statements, a subtle hint that he is God. And then he makes that, those claims exceedingly clear in John chapter 5 and in John 8. You see, Moses as a prophet was just a conduit of God's word. Moses was just the man who passed along what God had said, but there was no actual power in Moses. You see, Moses as a prophet was just a conduit of God's word. Moses was just the man who passed along what God had said, but there was no actual power in Moses. He's like the receiver on the end of a walkie-talkie. Someone else is doing the talking, but the speaker is making it known. That's what the prophets did. But Jesus is very different. He spoke the word of God because he is the word of God. He has a different kind of authority. His authority is not resting on what some outside authority has said, but on the authority of that he himself is. God's power is his word. His word is how the world was made. His word is what made the dry bones come to life. God's word is his power. And Moses had power because he spoke God's word. But this is what makes Jesus even more powerful. He speaks the word of God as the word of God. Third and finally, like Moses, the results of Jesus' ministry confirmed that he was, in fact, the great prophet. We will stay in John's gospel account. We actually just finished a two-year series on John this past spring. And as we went through, we saw a number of miracles that Jesus performed. And what we also saw that in John's account, these miracles were understood to be signs. In the same way that a sign along the side of the highway points towards a product or gives us directions to how to find the gas station, the signs in John point towards deeper principles of who Jesus is. The water into the wine, the healing of the sick, the feeding of the 5,000. These are all signs that Jesus used to confirm his prophetic ministry. And if anybody was to doubt what he was saying as a prophet, these signs were the proof that Jesus was, in fact, 
a true prophet. Moses says in Deuteronomy 18 that you can test a prophet by looking at the evidence. It's very easy to talk. It's very easy for me to say that the Pistons will be good, but it's much harder to back a prophecy up. A true prophet has the ability to back up what he says. And that's Jesus with the seven signs in John. But there is one overarching sign in John. One overarching piece of evidence that Jesus provides to give us the proof that he is the true prophet. John chapter 2, verses 18 through 19. The Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. It's a very big statement for a man to make. Crowds think that Jesus is referring to the temple building. It took 46 years to construct. If somebody was to rebuild that in three days, that would be very impressive. But Jesus is referring to a greater, more impressive resurrection than even the rebuilding of a temple. Jesus is referring to the temple of his body. And when his body is torn down on the cross, he would three days later rise. Beating death is even more impressive than rebuilding a physical temple. But this is what Jesus does. On the cross and into the tomb, Jesus will go, only to rise three days later. The greatest sign, the resurrection. Jesus makes this bold, audacious claim as a prophet that he will rise. And Jesus, like Moses, was able to back it up. Jesus was not just a talker. He wasn't even just a hothead who's saying some crazy things. No, he actually backed it up. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the proof, the evidence that Jesus is the greatest prophet. Jesus as a prophet, he is first like one of us. He's a man. He's not against us. He's one of us. He is here to help. Jesus as a prophet is second able to speak the word of God to us. He speaks and is the word of God. Then third and finally, we know that Jesus is a prophet that is worth listening to because the results of his ministry were confirmed. The greatest of all the actions being his resurrection from the grave. Moses was sent to lead the people. He was the mouthpiece of God. And as the people listened to him, they were listening to God. And so Jesus, as the new and better Moses, the final and truest of all the prophets, what is our Advent lesson for us? This very first Sunday in Advent, as we learn about Jesus as the great and truest and final of all the prophets, here's the lesson. Listen to Jesus. Listen to to him we live in an increasingly noisy age there's so many voices that are competing for our attention we have phones in our pockets that are buzzing constantly listen to us listen to us just begging for us to piss, pick them up and listen to them to, to, to check our feed see who just messaged us we need to listen to our phones that there's Talking political heads, just talking, talking, talking about how to fix the world. If you just would vote this one way, then the entire world would be saved. And if the vote goes differently than they hope, then all hope is lost. Voices that are talking. It's Christmas time. 
So advertisers are out in full force. Here's what you need. Buy now. Here's what your kids need for them to be happy and to have a good Christmas. The sale ends tonight. Listen. Lots of voices. They're the voices of the cultural commentators. Here's how to think. Here's how to be on the right side of history. Listen to us. Voices are coming at you all the time. Some of these voices are neutral, but most are not. They're actually prophetic voices, prophetic statements about a better world, about a better you. Do this and the world will be better. Believe this. Listen to us and you will be better. But none of these voices are very good prophets. They don't have our best interest in mind. They're not actually one of us. These people are not certainly sent from God. They do not speak with God's authority. And nor do they have any power to back up their claims. In all the noise of life, what you need is a word from the true prophet. From Jesus himself. Listen to him. Listen to him in prayer. Listen in his written word. Jesus is the truest of the prophets. He does care for you because he is like you. His words can help you because he is actually God himself. And how do I know this? Because his resurrection proves that he is who he says he is. Jesus is the great prophet. Listen to him.